How about them apples? <laughs> All right. And what I know is that they, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wish, right? I wish. That was great. That was great. And how many people know you need to probably go online and watch that again to get that information? Okay. That was content rich content rich in the reasons that we have to believe the things that we believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected King. And so with that in mind, it is good to see everybody uh, today. Um, it's a privilege to have you worshiping with us. If I don't know you yet, my name is Rollin and I am the lead pastor here. Uh, thank you so much. I am, thank you, taller than you first believe. Okay. <laughs> so, and so with that in mind, what we're doing is this is a perfect day based on the worship set that we had. How many people appreciated that worship too? I'm telling you, it's amazing. The worship, the message that was in the dance, and now the message that's in the word of God itself is all an appeal, a building block. And I have the privilege today as we go through our series in Luke, um, the good news according to Luke, to actually talk to you about one of the most famous and one of mo the most widely recognized parables in Scripture that Jesus gave. It is a parable that's known to both the Christian world and the non-Christian world. It's one that people reference, whether they realize they're referencing the stories in Scripture or not. How many people have heard of a prodigal son before? Okay, and even outside of the Christian context, heard people talking about the idea of having prodigal sons or daughters coming home, or maybe having the idea that you might have been a prodigal in your life who needed to get right with God. And so with that in mind, we're going to dive right into the scripture today and see why all of this good news is actually an appeal from God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, to call not just us in here, but the world home to himself. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us today. We thank you for your grace that you've shown the world in sending Jesus, your son, to not only live perfectly for us, but to die sacrificially at the cross for us. And three days later, according to your word, be raised from the dead so that we can have new life and eternal life in him. God, we're asking you today that you would help it, make it real to us, not only in a fresh way in here, but also empower us to make the appeal to the world that you came to save through this message in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's open um, our Bibles today to Luke chapter 15, and our focus is ultimately going to be this, that we serve a God who goes looking for those who are valuable to him to redeem their lost time and lives. We serve a God who goes looking for those who are valuable to him to redeem their lost time and lives. And so what we're going to talk about is the fact that God in these three parts today is looking for lost valuables. He's looking to redeem lost time, and ultimately, it's a message in the gospel of being lost and found in him. So what we see is, first of all, the fact that God deals with and is in search of lost valuables, and we see the kindness of God as he goes looking for the lost until, everybody say until, until they are found. He goes looking for the lost not just to make a, an initial appeal to people, not just to make a 
presumptuous appeal to people, but goes and works in people's lives, appealing to them through different means, mechanisms, and people again and again until they're found. And we see that in Luke chapter 15. So Jesus is giving us a parable here. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, meaning Jesus. And the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost just one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is, not, that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on, its shoulders, rejo- on its sh- his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until, everybody say until again, until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Over one sinner who repents, just one, right? And so what we see in this message is that Jesus is ultimately talking about what is valuable to him. And he starts off by talking about the hundred sheep that the owner of the fold had, and just one of them went missing. And I don't know about you, but I remember back in the day before we were a cashless society and actually had change in my pocket. (laughs) Anybody remember having change in your pocket? Okay, I know that's a bygone time now, but at the end of the day, I remember having some change in my pocket, and whenever I would be digging around in my pocket, anybody have pockets like me that bulge out a little bit sometimes? You know what I mean? It's almost like you had to wear cargo pants back in the day, and sort of like, you know, you remember digging into your pocket for something, and inevitably, there would be something that fell out. And if it was a penny, right? If it was a penny, if it was maybe a nickel or even a dime, how many people knew if you were in a rush, you would just go about your business and leave that one behind, right? Even though, oh, no, yeah, it's a, maybe not, okay? But here's the thing. <laughs> no, but here's the thing. It's like if you were in a rush, like let me tell you something, like trying to catch the train. I moved to Chicago at a time where I moved from the south and we got around in something called cars. You know what I mean? But here in the city, I learned to ride a train and I realized that the train wouldn't stop for me, right? It's sort of like when I was trying, anybody tried to get on the train before and ever got caught in the doors? Okay, anybody ever had to force the doors open? Okay, that was me. So when the change fell out, I had to make a choice. It was a business decision, right? It's either my life or the change. And so I let the change go. But how many people know in this parable, God is not willing to let anyone go and let anyone just not to have a chance in him? even when there are many that he calls his own, many that he's already belonged to him, and he's redeemed by the love and the grace of the Lamb of God, what we see is that God is still willing and to go after the one. He's willing to go after the one because the one, whether it be you or me, is valuable to him. 
What we see is that in the parable of the lost sheep, he went after the one because he said that not only were they too weak to come back to him, and we see that in the, the example of the shepherd who went to find the sheep, and he actually had to put the sheep around his neck. He had to put the sheep around his neck and bring the sheep who couldn't return on its own home. But he actually also went after the coin and swept for it and looked for it until he found it because in that state, the coin was inanimate. Everybody see that? The coin had no life in it. And that's what everyone is without God. They are dead in their transgressions and sins. They've got no life in them. They're like the living dead who are walking around full of ambition, full of hopes, full of dreams, but there's something dead on the inside of them because they're not connected to the author of life. That is the reality of life without God. In fact, that Ephesians says, when you're without Jesus Christ, you are without hope and without God in the world. But Jesus comes to ultimately bring back that which cannot work its way back to God on his shoulders to himself. And he also looks in that inanimate state to bring life to that which was dead. And the good news is, is that he does it because he says we're valuable to him. And there is no one in this world, there's no one, first of all, in this place, there's no one online, and there's no one in this world who is not valuable to God. The truth is, every person that you have ever or ever will meet is valuable to and dearly loved by God. How many people know that's true? Every person you ever meet. That means your boss. That means your annoying coworker. That means your neighbor who just gets on your nerve and won't put a bark collar on that dog. It means every single person that grates on you, grinds against you, and that is opposed to the values that you presently hold is valuable to God. C.S. Lewis actually said it this way, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as a life of a gnat. But as it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. Why? Because every person that you ever meet is valuable to God. It doesn't mean that they're in right standing with God. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even mean that they belong to God yet. You understand that. There's a difference between belonging to God and being created by God. Everyone is created by God, but you have to be adopted as sons and daughters to belong to God. And that's only done through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and through our repentance and faith in him. But that does not mean that because someone does not yet belong to God, they are not valuable to him. God says, I'm going on search. I'm going 
on a mission to actually find that which is lost. And we see that God not only redeems lost things that are valuable to him, but he also looks to redeem lost time. And properly understood, I love how Timothy Keller said this, Christianity is by no means, as some suggest, the opiate of the people. Instead, it's more like the smelling salts that wake people up to the life that they were actually created to live and intended for. Lost time. Number two, God came to redeem the time that was lost wandering in sin. How many people regret some things that you've done over the years? I'm not just talking about simple mistakes you made yesterday or today, but had periods of time in your life that you ultimately regret. You see, because sin ultimately not only, not only deceives us into thinking that it's giving us something that we don't have, but it's actually taking from us not just things that are life-giving, but it takes our, actually the essence of life, which is our time, right? Anybody, the older you get, the more you realize you want, you're actually paying for your time. That's what you're doing. And whenever you're living in sin, it's stealing the time that makes up your life. And this is what happened with the prodigal son. But what we see is that good news, God came to redeem the time that was lost while wandering in sin. Chapter 15, again, in Luke, verse 11, it said, And he said, meaning Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. So he gets real specific, right? He starts off talking about the hundred sheep. One was lost. He says they're valuable enough that I'm going to go looking for the one. Then he talks about 10 coins. He says, I lost only one of them. And that coin in that context was a drachma, like a day's wage, right? A day's wage. So how many people know that if you work today, you want to get paid, right? So that's valuable enough to you that you're going to go looking for it. If you see it missing in your check, you're going to ask some questions. He went looking for it. But now he's talking about, listen, I just had two sons, two sons. It's down to two now. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And no one gave him anything. Nothing, though they used to party with him. Nothing, though they used to talk about all the latest ideas and debate, all the latest philosophies of the day. When they were in agreement with one another, they were good to party together. But when he spent everything that he had in wild and reckless living, some translations say with prostitutes as we see it later, no one wanted to do anything for him. They didn't have time for him anymore. And so he spent all of that time, first of all, realizing that he had made a mistake because he had it good in the house of his father. How many people realize that? If you are in a home that actually has an inheritance to give you, then how many people know that's a blessing, right? Most people don't grow up having an inheritance to look forward to. 
But in this man's case, he had enough of a wherewithal to know, you know what, all that's surrounding me is good, but you know what, I want the inheritance and not my father. I'm going to treat my father as though he's dead to me. Because how many people know you get your inheritance, not beforehand, but when your parents pass away? And he says, I'm going to treat him as if he's dead to me because what's more important is what I get from my father, not my father himself. And I'm going and using it for the way that I want to live. I'm going to use it for the things that I want to do. Because ultimately, this father of mine and the way that he's built his house that actually accomplished this inheritance in the first place, it's, you know, it's of no value to me. Matter of fact, it's a hindrance to me. It's a hindrance to me. Anybody ever felt like that if you maybe had the opportunity to grow up in church before? Felt like God was somewhat of a cosmic killjoy? <laughs> Saying like, I'm trying to live, man. I'm trying to have some fun, man. And all these rules, all these expectations, all these commandments are actually keeping me from the life that he's actually talking about. You know, the man who was here, it's this young man who was the prodigal son, he was probably a teenager at the time. And the reason we know that is because culturally, usually men at that time were married by that age. By the time you got 20-something, you were already hitched. And everybody else said, right, all the men in here are like, wait, how old am I? Yeah, okay, listen, in that culture, you were already hitched. And so he's probably a teenager going astray, thinking he knew better than the father, thinking he could do better than the father. And anybody like the prodigal son in your teenage years? Had a little time of wandering? Had a little time of trying some things out? And then realized during that time that the sin that you were involved in, whether it was sexual morality, whether it was drunkenness, whether it was thieving, whether it be lying and getting ahead with people by taking advantage of them, all of that came to bite you in the bottom and actually took from you things that you thought you were gaining, but when it ran out, it actually cost you more than you were willing to pay? Anybody been there before? I, I think that we all have, and this is a message for those who grew up in the church and those who didn't. You see, when somebody came to me, I was like the prodigal son on steroids because I didn't even grow up in the house. So it wasn't a matter of me leaving it. I was already out with the pigs. I was just with the pigs talking about, you going to eat that? But I had plenty of friends who also grew up in the church not realizing the benefit of what they'd been exposed to, and they came and joined me in the pen. And I'm like, why are you here? Well, I just felt like I was missing out. On what? On what? What are you missing out on? The depression? What are you missing out on? The fear of what you might have caught the night before? What are you missing out on? Losing your scholarship because you had all this talent, but ultimately you went into wild partying and living, and then you forsook and threw away the gift that was otherwise given to you? What are you missing? And I would ask my friends that. They didn't have an answer for me. I said, bro, you need to go back home. Matter of fact, when you go back home, you need to take me with you. I just didn't know how to get back until somebody came and shared this good news to me that God was valuing me and on the lookout for me. 
And though I was lost, he was coming to find me. God came to redeem time that could otherwise be his. Let me tell you, if you are a Christian thinking that you are missing out on things, Proverbs 25, 26 is for you. He says, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. He said, you, you could have clean waters, but instead, if you give way to the wicked, you're literally choosing to poison yourself. And God's appeal to you is, don't do it. Timothy Keller said also in his book, uh, The Prodigal God, we must admit that we've put our ultimate hope. Why do people do things like throw away what otherwise was their good inheritance? We must admit that we've put our ultimate hope and trust in things other than God. And then both our wrongdoing and rightdoing, we've been seeking to get around God or get control of God in order to get hold of those things. You see, you will go astray like the prodigal if you, like the prodigal son, value the things that the father can give you more than the father himself. That's a message to us all, is it not? You will eventually go astray if you value the things that the father can give you more than the father himself. Because he said, I want my inheritance. I want to live like I want to live. Give me my freedom. I'm going looking for it. And the question is, is that not if the substitutes fail us, but what are the substitutes that there have been for you that have ultimately failed you when you've substituted them for the Father? Has it been a failed relationship? Ultimately, a career pursuit. Was it a search for happiness or an attempt at identity outside of God that ultimately failed you? You see, when he had to hire himself out to eat amongst the pigs, contextually, that was, that was horrendous to him, right? In a Hebrew Gentile culture, they didn't touch unclean things, right? But he had to say, I've got nothing left but to give myself to that which is deplorable to me. Have you ever been there? because you substituted what could be your inheritance in God for the lesser things? If that's you, the good news is that there's a way back. If that's been friends or family members of yours, the good news is that there's a way back. There's a way back. And we see that in the rest of the story. Let me just say this before we read the rest of the story, though, that it's a wake-up call to us. It's a wake-up call to us when we lose things. Anybody ever lost something that you were pursuing in sin? And it hurts you, but you were like, wait a minute. It's actually better that I'm losing this. And it's actually the mercy of God to me that I'm losing that which I was pursuing. Anybody ever been there before? And let me tell you, it's the mercy of God that allows us to wake up from our sin without being completely consumed by the deserved consequences. Because of the mercy of God, Jesus will go to the cross to pay for our sins. And it's the kindness of God that draws us ultimately to repentance. 
even when you're losing something, you need to understand that it's the kindness of God that you would lose something to draw you to repentance. So if you find yourself in that state now, understand it as the kindness of God. And finally, it's the grace of God that gives us better than we deserve. Come on, Cole Parlier. <laughs> Allowing us to be forgiven and live in the resurrection life of Jesus. I love this quote where he says, God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin and or wrongdoing. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've deliberately oppressed or even murdered people or how much you've abused yourself. I'm going to repeat that one. Or even if you've abused yourself. The younger brother knew that in his father's house there was abundant food to spare, but he also discovered that there was grace to spare. There is no evil that the father's love cannot pardon and cover, and there is no sin that is a match for his grace. And that's what he calls us to at the end of this story. Let's read it together. Ultimately, God came to restore dignity and worth to those who strayed while reminding the faithful of their great eternal reward. Luke 15, verse 17. It says, when he came to himself, when he came to himself, the prodigal son, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? More than enough bread. But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before you can ever be born again, that's a state, an understanding that we all need to come to. That none of us are worthy to be called his son or daughter. Because of how we've offended and sinned against him. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But every, everybody please with me say but. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he didn't even let him continue. He didn't even let him give his explanation or let his plea come out fully. He just stopped him in his tracks and said, enough, go, servants of mine. Bring quickly the best robe. Everybody say best robe. Best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that that's the heart of the father? Looking for his wayward sons and daughters. He ultimately, as a man of wealth and as a man of dignity in a state, it would have been undignified in that culture for an older man of any means to really cause himself to sweat. But put this picture up, please. It's just a picture, not perfect, but it's a good one. This is what the father might have looked like. Running, 
undignifying himself because he saw his son a long way off. And so it's, you know what, I'm not even waiting till he gets to me. I'm going to meet him. I'm going after him. I'm going to meet him. And thus saw up the other picture when he met with him. Can you imagine him embracing him and crying? Saying, this son of mine was lost. He was dead and is now found. I didn't know what was happening to him. Can you imagine the father day after day looking on the horizon, not knowing what came of his son when he took that inheritance and went off? Has anybody ever had family like that before? I have. Not my kids, okay? My kids are here. Okay? <laughs> but, but having family, extended family like that, some of our extended family, we had to hire FBI to find out if they were dead or alive or not. And unfortunately, they wound up dead in wild living, separated from God. But this father was on the horizon, looking to the horizon. Is my son alive? Is he dead? I'm looking for his return. That's the heart of God Almighty to you. To our friends and family who do not yet know the Lord. He's looking out saying, will they come home? I'm looking for them to come. And when they're even a far distance away, he runs to meet them. If you felt far from God, good news. He's coming to run to meet you. By his grace. Not giving you what you deserve, but giving you what you don't deserve. That's the gospel that our God communicates to us. And what we see is that he came not only to show us and redeem the value that he placed upon the son, he not only came to redeem the lost time that he had, but he came to restore his dignity. That he wouldn't identify with his mistakes anymore. Anybody ever been there? Even though you came back to God, you still wanted to talk about all the things that you previously had done? Or all the things that, the ways that people previously identified you because of your mistakes? Anybody ever been there before? He's like, stop. The best robe. The best robe. You see, when you're in Jesus, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's how the Father looks at you. He doesn't see the mistakes. He sees Jesus' perfection because of the robe that he places on you. He makes a covenant with you and puts that signet ring on your finger and says, my authority is your authority. And that's what I'm inviting you into. He says, I'm putting fresh sandals on your feet so you can go in a different direction, right? All of these different things are the good news of God. But the challenge is, is that there wasn't just one son, there were two. There wasn't just one son, there were two. And this is the point that we often miss. Maybe you've been a person who, maybe like myself, didn't have a history of wild living. But you've been in the house, faithful even in the house, and become bitter in soul because of the life that has been poured out to you, and you're like, I've done everything to be faithful, but still I'm not getting what I feel like I deserve. And this is what, not the prodigal son, but the elder son 
had to deal with when he saw his brother come home. And it said, now the, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But, everybody say but again. He, meaning the elder son, was angry. He was angry and refused to go in. <clears throat> he was angry and refused to go in. He was angry and refused to go in. Why? He said his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never, never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Have I ever been there before? So like, God, I've done everything you asked of me, and I still didn't get what I asked for. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, he comes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he, meaning the father, said to him, Son, you are always with me. You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. You see, the property, don't forget this, was divided up. And the younger son spent it. And that wasn't coming back. The faithful son was in the house and the father was saying, hey, don't forget this. All that I have is yours. Don't be like the prodigal who wanted the things more than me. Remember, there is a day coming where I'm going to distribute my inheritance and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And what we see is that as Timothy Keller said, the targets of this story are not just wayward sinners, but religious people who do everything the Bible requires. Jesus is pleading not so much with immoral outsiders as with moral insiders. He wants to show them their blindness, narrowness, and self-righteousness, and how these things are destroying both their own souls and the lives of the people around them. Have you ever been so upset doing the right thing that you ended up going astray <laughs> got bitter in your soul doing the right thing because it didn't it wasn't transactional if i do this then god owes me that not realizing that just like the prodigal son you are in need of the gospel as well because he says all have sinned all, which means the elder brother too, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are saved freely by his grace. 
But how often, when we've done what we feel like are the right things, do we separate ourselves from the wedding banquet of the Lamb? Do we separate ourselves from the celebration of the wayward son coming home? That's what the elder son did, right? Because we think that God didn't give us what we deserve by obeying him as he said to. This was a message for the elder son, just as, was, as it was for the younger son. Let me end with this last quote. Another sign of those with an elder brother spirit is joyless, fear-based compliance. The older son boasts of his obedience to his father, but lets his underlying motivation and attitude slip out when he said, all these years I've been slaving for you. To be sure, being faithful to any commitment involves a certain amount of dutifulness. Often we don't feel like doing what we ought to do, but we do it anyway for the sake of integrity. But the elder brother shows that his obedience to his father is nothing but duty all the way down. There's no joy or love. No reward in just seeing his father pleased. In the same way, elder brothers are fastidious in their compliance to ethical norms and in fulfillment of all traditional family, community, and civic responsibilities. But it is a slavish, joyless drudgery. The word slave has strong overtones of being forced or pushed rather than drawn or attracted. A slave works out of fear, fear of consequences imposed by force. This gets to the root of what drives an elder brother. Ultimately, elder brothers live good lives out of fear, not out of joy and love. Which one are you? Are you the prodigal who's been found in wild living and needs to come home? Are you the elder son who's been there all this time, but you find just as much difficulty approaching and loving God because the basis of your relationship is ultimately the same but you're blinded by self-righteousness that keeps you from actually just accepting what he has for you in humility that will ultimately turn to love. See, that's why he summarized the greatest commandment, right? As this, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself, Right? This summarizes all of the law and the prophets. But if we find it difficult to love God while being in the house, it might be because we don't realize that without the righteousness of Jesus, we're just like the prodigal. It's just that we've lived in the house thinking ourselves excused from such need. 
Does that make sense to you? So this is a call home. It's a call home for every prodigal who needs to repent of their sin and come back to a loving faith in Jesus. But it's also a call home for every elder son or daughter who's been there the whole time but found that your love for God has been something different than the Father requires. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your love for us. And I thank you that you've shown not only your heart towards us, but the value that you place on every man and every woman in here, every man and woman online, and that, God, you're calling all of us home to experience the grace that is ultimately found in you and the hope that really all things that are yours belong to us as we put our trust in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would lift every man and woman's eyes to the hills today to find that hope in you. And I want to pray first for anyone in here. Everybody focus on God, please. I want to pray first of all for anyone who says, you know what, is for people online as well as with us today, who say, you know what, I've been like the prodigal. And I know that even though I might have started in the house, I've gone astray. And I've spent what I've had on reckless living, trying to substitute other things for God, and ultimately been found wanting because of it. I know that there is sin in my life, perpetual, habitual sin, whether sexual morality, drunkenness, lying, dishonoring of my parents, thieving. And I know if I was to stand before God today, I would receive judgment in hell. But I don't want it, and I want to come to the cross of Jesus Christ to receive the grace that he provided for me. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Is there anyone like that at all? Okay, who else? Anyone else? Anyone else? If, there's, if you're responding online, there are people online who can stand with you and pray with you as you are responding. Is there anyone else who says, you know what, I'm tired of eating with the pigs and I need to come home? If so, this is your moment. Well, Father, we do just pray for every hand that was raised. And God, we're asking you that you would make them new creations in you that as they let go of the substitutes, as they let go of the things that really are lesser things as compared to you, that God, they would come to the life abundant and the eternal life that's ultimately found in Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would show them how to walk with you, talk with you, relate with you, and serve you for the rest of their days as they serve you as Lord in Jesus' name. And for anyone else in here, is there anyone who says, you know what, I've not been like the prodigal, but I'm like the elder brother. I'm like the elder brother. And though I wouldn't admit it and though I wouldn't, don't often think about it, there's a joyless portion, a drudgery to my walk with God that I can't escape. I wake up to it every day and I dutifully serve in the way that I know how, but there's no love coming out of my heart towards God or other people. And I need God to awaken me and give, show me grace that I can actually come to a different place. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Does anyone find themselves like the elder brother? Okay. Anyone else? Well, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here. 
And God, I pray that you would renew in them the joy of their salvation. That not only would they know the grace that you've already shown them, but we pray that they would walk in the grace that you have for them daily. And that not only would they celebrate when the younger brothers and younger sisters come home, but God, they would rejoice in what you do for them day after day, giving them victory over sin, giving them joy, giving them peace, giving them patience, giving them all the fruit of the Spirit, and help them to be renewed in the joy that the kingdom of God in all its fullness is theirs. God, we pray that you would show them what that means, and because of it, you would help them to, like the pearl of great price, sell everything that they have to get a hold of it. God, we thank you for your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.